So we are in week three of our four-week series um, in how to hear God's voice. And remember, here's what we've said, that God is talking to you. God is talking to you. We just are not great at hearing him. We're not always awesome at listening, but God is always talking. God wants to communicate to us. God wants to share his heart for us. God loves us like that. I, I love when, when Haley gives us that, that analogy. Where's Haley at? I don't know. I was going to look at her and everything. She's right there. She's downstairs. Well, when Haley gave us that analogy, it's, it's so accurate. It's so appropriate. God does feel that way about us. And so whether it's, it's holding us in our grief, whether it's encouraging us in our down moments, whether it's, it's exhorting us when, when we need to keep going or admonishing us when we need to correct course, right? Or if it's just pouring love out on us when we need to feel his presence. God is always talking, right? God is not going to hear you and to see your need. God is not going to hear you and see your need and then leave you without response. God is always talking. The question is, are we listening? Are we hearing? Right? And, and so this becomes our, um, our, our issue um, as people in this culture, in this church, is to be able to hear the voice of God. And uh, what I told you first week, and I told you I was going to remind you every week, so um, out of due diligence and a heart for you and wanting you to hear God's voice, I'm going to remind you that the absolute best way for you to hear the voice of God, the most consistent reliable, powerful, healthy way to hear God's voice is by reading the Bible on a regular basis. This, you've heard this, I'm reminding you of this. This is God breathed. This is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. When you take time to read it in, right, you are inhaling what the Holy Spirit has exhaled centuries ago. This is God breathed. This is the word of God. And it doesn't mean that you can just flip it and point and say, okay, well now I'm, I'm, I'm going to get God's voice to me. No, no, no. But when you are regular, when you are consistent, this is God's word for you. God is speaking to you through scripture. It is the primary way that he does so. And, and, and every other way that God speaks to us right? Every other way that God speaks to us, and there are other ways that God speaks to us, but every other way is rooted in our knowing him and hearing him personally in his word. If you are never in the Bible, but you believe that you are consistently hearing from God, then there's a problem. What you've opened yourself up to in a really serious, significant way is deception. You've opened yourself up to deception if you think you're hearing from God, but you don't know his word. Because his word is where he speaks to us first. His word is what teaches us discernment. His word is what not only speaks to our heart, but it helps us to hear his voice in other areas. Here's what Psalm 119 says about God's word. It says his word um, are sweet. How sweet your words taste. They're like honey on our lips, right? The commandments of God actually give us understanding. And I love this so much, so much understanding that when we are in the word and they're sweet 
then it's no wonder we hate every false path. It's no wonder we hate every false way because we are so in tune with the very words of God. We hear his voice that when the wrong path comes up, we just walk away from it. We hate it and we know it and we recognize it. Because instead, his word is a lamp to our feet. It guides us on the right paths. It's a light so we can see. The word of God is integral in hearing the voice of God. And some of you are like, yeah, Matt, we get it. You've said it now three weeks in a row. I'm going to say it next week too. I'm going to say it next week too. And you're like, yeah, Matt, I get it. Okay, let me ask you a, a very clear, pointed, hard, potentially irritating question. If you get it, right, if you understand what I'm saying now for the third week in a row then can you say, okay, I have started to read the Bible differently and with more expectation and more regularity since I've come to understand that the Bible is God's primary way that he wants to speak to me. Because if you can't say that, if you can't say that, Matt, I am getting in the Bible because I am committed to hearing the voice of God in the words that he has given us in scripture. If you can't say that you're committed to that, then you need me to keep telling you the same thing over and over again. Otherwise, we talked about this in James. You're like the one who hears uh, and then forgets, right? Like you look in a mirror and you know what you look like, but you walk away and you forget what you look like. This is something we need to do. And so it's on me to keep reminding you until we become a church, till we become a church that is so biblically literate that we are a church of people that consistently hear the voice of God. Because that's how it works. And last week we talked about doors and desires and signs and how God speaks to us through those. And today we'll talk about people and how God speaks to us through people. Next week we'll talk about promptings and dreams. And God will speak to us through all of those things. But it starts here. It starts in his word. And and that's a non-negotiable from him. So, with that foundation that your word is sweet like honey... And your commands give me an understanding. I hear your voice. They're a light to my feet. They light my path. When we get that, then we're ready to hear God in these other ways too. And today, as we, as we move forward in the series, we're, we're going to talk about how we hear God's voice through people. It was uh, February uh, 13th, I think. I'm going to look because I'll get it wrong. Yeah. February 13th in 1962, that John Glenn sat 95 feet high, right, on an uh, uh, intercontinental ballistic rocket ready to take off. There had been 11 delays, but it was the moment, right, uh, in Cape Canaveral from, from launch uh, facility 14 um, that his rocket blast off, and in four hours, 45 minutes, and 23 seconds, he orbited the earth three times before safely um, splashing down about 800 miles southeast of Bermuda. Instant hero, right? The Americans had put somebody in space, and he had orbited the earth 
fantastic. But the thing is, he didn't do it by himself. In fact, the reality is, he had the easiest job. Because ultimately, when it all came down to it, is he just had to do what he was told. The hard work was done behind the scenes from a lot of other people. And, and the point I make is this, right? That, that for all of us, these epic moments in our lives, right? They have a lot of behind the scenes work to get there. For every Esther that we read about in scripture, there's a Mordecai exhorting her to act. For every David that becomes king of Israel, there's a Benaniah who teaches him the way of God and holds him accountable. For every Timothy who is a great pastor leader in the church, there is a Paul that tells him the hard things that he needs to know and do. There's always somebody that God has put in our lives. Listen, the the people that God has put in your lives, especially the people through the church, they are not a coincidence, right? Just like the people that fed in um, to John Glenn's success, uh, uh, there there was a a specific woman. Her her name was uh, Catherine Coleman Johnson, um, and she was a genius, right? Getting to space actually wasn't the hard thing. Getting back from space was the hard thing. Turns out they could have put a guy in space a whole lot earlier than they did. It was getting him home that took all the hard work. It took the math. And there was nobody better at the math than Catherine Coleman Johnson. There was a problem, though. There were actually two problems with Catherine. One, she was a woman, and it was 1962. It was not a woman's world. Two, she was black, and it was 1962. But God empowered her and wired her to push through. And only because John Glenn is successful do we even know who she is. And actually, we wouldn't even know who she is if she didn't win the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the age of 97. And then they went and made a movie out of it. You've probably seen it. If you haven't, it's Hidden Figures. It's worth a watch. Right? But, but the whole point is this. Right? The whole point is this. It is, it is not just you doing the things that will honor and glorify God. It's the people that are pouring into you. The people that are pouring into you are the very voice of God in your life, but you have to be ready to listen. You have to be able to discern truth. It's just the way that it works. Uh, Think about it this way. Um, There is a whole line of people for you of baguettes. You know how you read in scripture that so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so. There's a whole line for you all the way back to Adam and Eve, but a whole line of you for everything that God wants you to accomplish. There is a whole line of people that he has put in your path, and it's not an accident. People that can be the voice of God in your life. Think about it like spiritual pinball. God purposely, sovereignly bumps you up against people with different giftings. He bumps you up against people with different anointings. He bumps you up against people that can give you encouragement. Sometimes he bumps you up against people who will notice flaws in your life that you haven't noticed yet. Sometimes he bumps you up against people that will have to tell you a hard truth. When those things happen, they are the voice of God preparing you, telling you things you need to know so that you can be where you need to be for his glory and his benefit.
right? That's what the author of Hebrews has in mind when he says, therefore, we are surrounded by this great, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, right? And because of that, because of the way that God has maneuvered this great crowd of witnesses to pour into us, to teach us, to help us hear the actual voice of God in our lives when they talk to us, when they encourage us, when they pray over us, when they point out difficult things, in light of that, in light of the fact that God's done that for us, let's strip off everything that hinders, everything that gets in the way. Sometimes it's sin, especially the sin. That's what the writer says, especially strip off the sin. But sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's just dumb. Sometimes it's just the stupid ways we spend our time. Sometimes it's just the stupid arguments we get into. It's the stupid stuff. And God puts people in our lives to tell us hard things so that we can get rid of that. We can get rid of uh, of focusing on the wrong thing. We can get rid of focusing on our limitations that we're too much of this, not enough of that, whatever it is. and, And we strip it off and we run because God is speaking to us clearly. He's given us a race to run, a race that he set before us. We can think of people as um, our trainers, sometimes our coaches. But God wants to use the voice of people in your life. All right, let's dig in. Let's see how this works. Okay? It starts with this. That when God wants to use somebody to speak into your life, basically what he is doing is he is using them as a prophet. So when you have spoken to somebody, the very words that God wanted them to hear, you are a prophet. When somebody speaks to you, the very words that God needs you to hear, right, they are a prophet. The problem is we think of prophets as this mystical, crazy thing, right? We think if we're going to hear the voice of God, we need candles, right? We need chanting. And somebody has to stand up loudly and shout, thus saith the Lord, Because that's how prophets work. That's how the voice of God works, right? You walk into a room with a big booming voice and you say, Thus saith the Lord. And then you give a proclamation. And then you walk away. And that is how prophets are supposed to work. The problem is that's not overly biblical. Not only that, it's weird. Because if every time I wanted to say something to you that I felt like God was impressing upon me and I started it with, hey, let's sit down here, let's, let, we just need to talk. First of all, let's get it dark. Let me light some candles, right? Let's all chant, get ourselves in the right frame of mind. And then when I'm ready, I will, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes you can be a little hard to get along with. Sometimes when you don't mean to be, you can be a little judgmental. Thus saith the Lord. And then I would walk. You would not listen to, I wouldn't listen to me. It's weird. And we wouldn't do it. But that's not how it works in scripture. Right? We think of prophets as people that are foretelling the future. They're they're fortune telling. They're telling us what is going to be. But that's not biblical either. More often than not, do some prophets do that? Yes, that is a special gift that God gives some people to talk about what's going to come, to prophesy about what will happen in the future. More often than not, what prophets are in Scripture, they are forth-telling, not fortune-telling. They're telling you how it is. They're telling you what you need to do. 
They're giving you a word of encouragement or a word of correction. If you read through the prophets, we don't read through the prophets very often, but if you read through the prophets, more often than not, they're not telling you some fantastical thing that will happen in the future. They're telling you what's going to happen if you keep down this path. They're telling you what God needs you to know right now so that you can either dig in and go further or so that you can correct course and avoid. Prophets tell you what you need to know now. They're the voice of God telling you what you need to know. And God puts those people in our lives. And it's not as mystical as we might think it has to be. It is supernatural. It is spiritual, right? Because it's the God of the universe doing it, right? It is the God of the universe supernaturally speaking to us through other people, right? But it's not mystical. He's not possessing them and using their voices. He's impressing upon them. And they're sharing. He's putting them in a position to say the hard things. But make no mistake about it. Just because it's not mystical doesn't mean it's not the voice of God. Very clearly is. We see it, we see it happen with Timothy. Paul's writing this to his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, Timothy, I remember your genuine faith. Right? Why? Because it's the faith that you've had. You shared it. Uh, you were first filled with your grandmother Lois and your, and your mother Eunice. They had this faith and they passed it on to you generationally. They shared it with you and you believed it and you got it. And I know that the same faith continues in you strong today. This is what he says, right? And this isn't when he first met Timothy. This is his actual second letter to Timothy. Timothy has been in ministry with him a lot, but he is going to tell Timothy something Timothy needs to hear. And we don't know for sure Right? But good tradition tells us that, that Timothy um, is, is uh, a guy that is very self-conscious. He's a guy that struggles to be bold. Timothy is a feeler more than the average person. Timothy struggles. We see this a couple of different times in Scripture. In scripture. When, he, when, he, when he says goodbye to Paul, he, he openly weeps. Uh, not something common for that day, right? This is, this is his emotions getting the better of him. Uh, Paul, even we read this a few weeks ago, Paul has to tell the church of Corinth, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you. Do not, whatever you do, do not intimidate him. Right? You know it's easy, I know it's easy, but you do not intimidate him. Right? Because Timothy has this struggle. He has this struggle with being self-conscious. Thinking that maybe he's not good enough. Being timid. But, but Paul says to him, the voice of God to Timothy. We read this in scripture. Timothy would have read this as God speaking through Paul to him personally. He says, man, I remember your faith and I know it's real. I know it continues strong in you. Don't waver. Don't falter. I know the faith is powerful and strong in you. I'm going to remind you to fan into flames the gift that you had when I laid my hands on you and prayed for you. God gave you the gift of evangelism and he gave you the gift of leadership. And because God gave you that gift, you are in a position to lead the church. So lead it. Don't falter. So here's what he says. This is the culmination. This is the point of, of the prophetic message that Paul is giving to Timothy. Um, God speaking to Timothy through Paul. He says, for God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity. 
but he gave you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So never, ever be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. He gave you a gift of evangelism and leadership. And because you are afraid, you are squandering it. But I know your faith is real, and I know it's there, and I know it's strong, and I laid hands on you and, 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 and commissioned this gift of God in you. And I want you to fan it into flames. And here's where he says, the voice of God, the voice of God to Timothy through Paul, he says, and you are not weak. You aren't a coward. That's what that word means. That word uh, timidity doesn't actually exist in any other point in the New Testament. It's used this one time and one time only. It doesn't exist. It's never written in the rest of the New Testament. You know where we read it a lot, though, is in the historical documents that the Jews wrote at that time. There's a first century historian named Josephus. You know where he used that word? You know that word timidity that, that we read there? It's like, oh, God doesn't want you to be timid, right? He wants you to be bold. It, it's not really a word for timid. It's a word for cowardice. The other time we read that word is when Josephus is talking about the 10 spies that refused to enter the land because they were so afraid of the giants. Go back to the Old Testament, right? And, and Moses and, and all of the people of Israel are about to enter the land and conquer it because God promised it. And so they send in 12 spies to check out the land. And the 12 spies come back and they say, hey, the land is as good as God promised. There are grapes the size of your fist. Right? And some of you are like, yes, I love grapes. And some of you are like, yes, I love wine. Doesn't matter. You could do either one with them. But there are grapes the size of your fist. See, the land is flowing with milk and honey, which I guess is good. It means it's fruitful and it's awesome. Fruitful? <laughs> Fertile. It's fruitful. There's fruit loops there too. It's fertile, is what I meant to say. It's awesome. But we can't do it. So they say, they say, the land is awesome. It's as good as advertised, but we can't do it. We're too weak. Those guys are huge. They're well-trained. Their militaries are strong. We will never be able to drive them out. They will stomp us. At best, they will make us slaves. At worst, they will murder us and take our, our wives and children. We can't do it. Except two, there's two of them that say, yes, we can. Are you kidding me? God, look at everything God has done. God brought plagues on Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He fed us with manna from heaven. This guy has got our back. And he's powerful. And he is the God of the universe. And he tells us we can take the land. We can take the land. There's two of them that say, yes, we can. Everybody else refuses. Not only do they refuse, but they talk bad about it to the whole nation until people just refuse to go. They say, let's go back to Egypt and be slaves there instead. Cowards. That's that word. It's the only other place in Greek that we see that word is to describe those 10 men that refused to go in the land. So here's what Paul's really saying to Timothy. The voice of God to Timothy. Th through Paul. I didn't make you to be a coward. I didn't make you afraid. 
And I am behind you, and I am with you, and I am telling you that you stand firm in power and love and self-discipline. And that you should never be ashamed to do the things I put in front of you. Never be ashamed to talk about Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed to share the gospel with people that need to know it. Never be afraid to do it. Because your life is not worth all that much in light of eternity. It's the voice of God given to Timothy to change the trajectory of his ministry. And here's what I want to tell you, that when you hear the voice of God through somebody, that it's time to put it into practice. And I can promise you this, Timothy did. You know how Timothy died? Good church tradition tells us that Timothy died at 80 years old, trying to stop a pagan festival in his city. Timothy said, no, 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 not on my watch. They said, Timothy, stop it or else. And Timothy says, I can't stop. All I can do is tell you about Jesus Christ in boldness and in power and in love. I'm not afraid. I'm not a coward. They tied Timothy to the back of a chariot and drug him through the street and eventually stoned him to death. Timothy heard the voice of God tell him, be strong, stand firm, don't back down, don't be a coward. The word for coward is actually the opposite of the word for martyr. Martyr is I will die for what I believe in. Coward is I will give up what I believe in so that I can live. And Timothy said, I'm no coward because I I heard the voice of God tell me to stand firm and to finish the race and to win. And so he did. See, see, here's the thing that we have to understand. Is that God wants to speak to you and, and it is not, it is not mystical. It's supernatural, but it's not mystical. And it starts when you know his word, right? And he opens doors and he'll give you desires that you can walk through. And, and, and we can do that when we know his word, but it also comes from other people in our lives. The people in our lives are not there by accident. To say that the people in our lives are there by accident is to deny the sovereignty of the God of the universe who creates everything, sustains everything, and is in control of everything. You do not have relationships by accident. You might do stupid things in those relationships. You might blaspheme the name of God in those relationships. Or you might be the voice of God in those relationships. Or you might hear the voice of God in those relationships. But you're not there by accident. God is too sovereign for that. So, you're like, oh, that's fine and good, Matt. So if Paul writes me a letter and says, hey... Bill, here's what I want you to know. God says, don't be timid, don't be a coward. Then you'll take it to heart. But how does it work for us regular folks that aren't in the Bible? It's a good question. Somebody asked me. It's a great question. So how it works for us regular folks is this, right? That we have to be open to what God puts in front of us. So there's something called the Jahari window. Do you know the Jahari window? If, if you don't, it's okay. You're going to see it in a second. Um, it, it sounds, you're like, man, that sounds Middle Eastern. Is that okay? Jahari window. What do we do there? Listen, it's just Joe and Harry, and they put their names together when they came up with this psychological construct about personality. So it's okay. 
Jahari window. The Jahari window basically puts our um, selves into four quadrants, and this will help us understand how we can hear God's voice in us uh, at times. And, and the first quadrant is the arena quadrant. This is the easiest quadrant. The arena quadrant is this that's public information. It's what I know about me and what you know about me. It's my public face. It's your Facebook feed. Some of you are like, Matt, you really dated yourself there. Fine. It's your Instagram feed. Some of you are like, that didn't make it much better. Okay, cool. It's your TikTok. That's a thing, right? It's your TikTok. Whatever it is, this is your public persona. This is what you know about you, and you're okay with other people knowing about you. This is your best foot forward. Right? I think we can all admit there are things you know about me. We can all also admit there are things you don't know about me. The things you know about me, that I know about me, they go here in the arena quadrant. God will sometimes use people to speak to us in this area. Teachers, coaches, right? They, 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 uh, pastors, friends, accountability partners, they will speak to us in this area. And it starts with us all knowing the same thing. Let me, let me tell you, you can, very, you can more easily hear the voice of God when you have somebody that knows you. Second area is the facade area, the fake area. This is the quadrant that is things that you know about you that other people do not. There are all kinds of things that you know about yourself that other people don't. These are, these are the things that you think, believe, and do in secret when you think no one is watching. This is the reality of you having a public life and a private life. These, frankly, are the things that come back to bite politicians and pastors all the time. Every time there's a church scandal because a, a pastor in leadership has gotten found out or every time somebody's running for office and people are digging into background and digging in, they're looking for things in this arena. Because this is where your, your public face and your private face don't match up. This is the one where you say to everybody, I'm fine. But you know you're not fine. I'm good. But you know you're far from good. This is where depression lives. This is where secret sin lives. This is where anxiety and depression, I said depression, but it's big. You could say it twice. It lives there. This is where we get spiritually stuck. Because we put on our church face and we show up at church and we are who we're supposed to be. But inside we know it ain't real. We know it's not how we really feel. We know we don't really get it. We know we're confused. We know we're struggling with the same sin time and time again. Right? We, we know that our marriages aren't what we want them to be or that our children aren't doing what we want them to do or, or, or that our job's not going the way that we act like it's going or that financially we're not in the position that we want people to believe that we're in or, or that deep down, I just don't want people to know that I feel broken, that I feel hurt all the time or that I feel betrayed and I feel anxious. And so we put on a public thing, and we know the truth, but other people don't. Listen to me. Um, this is one of those areas where you desperately, desperately need to hear the voice of God. 
and it's most likely going to come from somebody else. And it's going to come from somebody else. It's going to come from a person when you can be honest. There's one way out of here, right? Actually, there's two ways out of here. One of them is spectacular failure where it blows up and everybody gets to see it. The other is confession. And I'm not just talking about confession to God. I'm talking about confession to people. Before you think I've gotten crazy Catholic, I don't mean that you need to sit in a room separated by a divider and you need to tell somebody your secret sins so they can tell you that God forgives you. Listen, you already know that God forgives you. But when you confess your sins to somebody else, something happens where they lose their power. Here's what James says about that. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When you share with someone your sins, your fears, your worries, your anxieties, your shortcomings, when you give those to somebody else, right, then they can be the voice of God in your life telling you what's true, telling you what's real, holding you accountable if necessary, but it doesn't happen until you can be honest. I, I have great moments that I get to have that I think other people don't always get to have, and it shouldn't be this way. I get to have great moments, and, and you're like, Matt, it's not a great moment. That sounds awful. Eh, I know, but, it, but it, it can be great. I get to have these moments where people call me on the phone, and they say, okay, listen, this is not maybe exactly how they say it, but it's what their heart is. I'm done hiding. Matt, I need you to know this. As my pastor, I've got to be able to trust you. I've got to tell you this. And because it's in that moment that things can start to change, that I can be the voice of God prophetically speaking into somebody's life. And it doesn't have to be mystical. I don't have to light candles. I don't have to chant. I don't have to say, just say it the Lord. But what I can say is, you know what? God forgives you and he wants better for you. That's the voice of God sometimes. Or, or when somebody can tell me, look, I've got this desire in my heart or this thing, and, and I can say, you know what? That's from God, and here's, here's how you can look at that, and here's how you can live that out to the glory of God for the benefit of your family, and I can say those things. And you know what? When that happens, I can be the voice of God, encouraging. Like, this is an opportunity that we have, but it starts with you. And if you are, if you are harboring something in this window— this window that you know that other people don't know, God wants to speak to you about it, but it has to start with his word and it has to start with sharing it with somebody. This is where real accountability happens. It's where real human connection happens. Forgive the, the very stupid pun, but it's where alter ego becomes alter ego. You're like, Matt, you said the same thing. I know, but right, Megan's with me. She's, she gave me a knowing nod. She's like, I see what you did there. Because what I did there was your alter ego, your pretend ego, becomes your alter ego, where you just lay it all on the altar in front of God. Instead of pretending to be something I'm not, I say, Jesus, in you, I want to be everything I'm made to be. And that can be really, really hard. But the voice of God wants to speak to you here. I promise you he does. God wants to speak to you here. We keep going. There's the blind spot area. Boy, God has got things to tell you here. 
He's got things to tell me here too. The blind spot area is this. The blind spot area is that thing that you don't know about yourself, but everybody else knows about you. It's when you stand up here and your fly is down. (laughs) Except emotionally. I mean, sometimes it it could really be, right? Uh, And you know how awkward it is to tell somebody their fly's down? You know that, right? You're like, um... Like, check it. You're like, why are you pointing at my crotch? We make it awkward. Like, what do you want? What's going on? Oh, I see. And then we turn around to zip like it's awkward now. (laughs) Like you haven't just... But that's what it is. That's what a blind spot is. The difference is when we're talking about blind spots in this Jahari window, we're not talking about spinach in your teeth. We're talking about things that everyone can clearly see that you can't. I would have benefited tremendously. I would have benefited tremendously in my younger days from somebody saying, Matt, you got some blind spots. You don't like to be wrong. That is a blind spot. You can have a temper. That is a blind spot. Matt, even when you're saying nice words, they sound nasty. It's a blind spot. These are things that we all need to have so that we can grow, so that we can benefit. Those are the voice of God from people telling us, especially when it comes to ministry and our faith, right, and our character and our growing in Christ-likeness, where where people can come alongside and they can tell us these things that are clear that we just can't see. The thing about blind spots is they're really hard to hear because they sting and they call into question our character. And they call into question our, our, uh, our, our personhood, who we are. But at the end of the day, we've got to be more thankful for people that will tell us a hard truth than people that will just ignore it. Right? And God wants to speak to us through blind spots. And it's, is it easy? No. Is it comfortable? No right? Is it compassionate? Yeah, it is, right? Of course it's compassionate because it has the chance to help, but, but of course it's hard, right? What, is, what does the proverb say? As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know how you sharpen something? You create friction, you create sparks, right? It, 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 it's not a simple process, but it's a necessary process, Word of caution, though, when you're hearing about your blind spots, or right, when, when, when we, we, have to, we have to get good at discernment. This is why, and I'll say this again and again and again until you're sick of it, right? But this is why we start here, right? Because we're not just going to take anything from anyone and say, oh, well, that's God's truth. That's, that's the voice of God pouring into me. No, no, no. Listen, here's the problem. When we talk about God's voice through people, people suck. And we know it. It's not like a perfect God is talking to a flawed human. It's even worse than that. It's a perfect God impressing upon a flawed human who will then tell another flawed human. 
And we've got to be good at discerning the voice of God. Right? Early on in, in my ministry, early on in, in, my, in my role as a Sunday school teacher, as a, as a Bible teacher, and as a pastor, I had people tell me that I needed to stop talking so much about sin because that was going to drive people away. That I needed to stop pointing out that hell was real because that was going to be problematic for people that, that wanted to come to church and be here and know more about God. Here's all I could say about that. That was not the voice of God. That wasn't the voice of God. We have to be good at discerning. Now, I heard other people say, man, you don't necessarily need to be a jerk about it. That was the voice of God. We have to be able to discern this. Look, a compliment from a fool is really an insult. An insult from a fool is really a compliment. We have to be able to, to navigate these things. We have to have discernment. Discernment starts when we dig into the word of God. But God will use people to tell you your blind spots. The same way he will use the instructor at driver's ed to, to coach your kid to turn and check before they switch lanes on the interstate. Because we got to be able to get good at looking for our blind spots. We should be doing the same thing. So here's a question for you. Do you have that person in your life? That person that loves you? Prays for you? Cares for you? And that you have specifically said, you have permission to show me my blind spots. You need it. You got to have it. We keep going to this last one here. The last window. And it's the unknown window. These are the things I don't know. And neither does anybody else. Until God reveals them. I don't know these things. You don't know these things, but they are how we're wired and God will show them to us at the appropriate time. And we need to be able to hear the voice of God in that too. Give you an example of how it works in scripture. There's a whole long story in 1 Samuel. I'll read you a little bit of it. Um, and it's about a young man named Saul and an older guy, a prophet named Samuel. And, and God is giving Israel the king they've asked for, Right? wasn't what he had desired for them at this point, but it's what they've asked for. So he says, fine, I got somebody for you, right? And, and the intention is for this guy named Saul to become the king that, that he could be. Now he doesn't, but the intention is for him to be. God says, I will, if you obey me and you'll follow me, I will bless you. But this is how it works because Saul does not think that he ought to be king. We're going to start in 1 Samuel 9. I put a few verses up there, but I'm going to start reading in 15. Now, the day before Saul came, uh, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the land of the Philistines, from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people and their cry has reached me. Right? When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, that's the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. He will be king. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell us where the seer's house is? And Samuel's like, hey, dude, that's me. I'm the seer. I'm the prophet. Go ahead of me to the high place, for today you're going to eat with me. And in the morning, I'll send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. And those donkeys that you're looking for, the reason that you even came here in the first place, don't worry, they went home. They were found, they went home. Days ago. 
And to whom is, and here's what he says, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? And Saul answers, and he's like, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm the smallest, I'm from the smallest tribe in the whole nation of Israel, and I'm the lowest person in our family. So why would you even talk to me about being the hope of all the nation of Israel? And Saul goes on to tell him, because God has anointed you king. You didn't know it, and we didn't know it. But God has revealed it, and now I am the voice of God talking to you, telling you that this is true. Here's what the voice of God will do in your life in areas where you don't know. It will confirm things. God will use people to confirm truths in your life well before you know well before you're good at figuring out what that is, well before I knew that I was supposed to be a pastor, God used people in my life, the voice of God through those people to say, you know what, Matt? I think God wants to use you in this way. Prophetically saying to me, the voice of God saying to me, I think God might want to use you in this way. I think God might want you to step into leadership. I think God might want you to serve as a teacher, as a pastor. And I would say, no, probably not. But that voice of God echoes and resonates. And it confirms things that God has planted in you that maybe you didn't even see yet. But in those unknown areas, it'll also do something else. It'll correct what needs to be corrected. We look ahead just uh, six chapters multiple years later, and Saul went from being, I'm not worthy to be king, to I should be worshipped by everybody. And it makes God angry. So here's what God says to the same prophet, to Samuel. He says, I'm sorry that I ever made him king. This is God talking. It's like, I made him king, and I was going to give him everything, and I was going to empower him. And if he would have obeyed me and followed me, I would, have, I would have done great things through Saul. But now, because he rejects me and he worships himself, I am sorry I ever made him king. Because he's not been loyal to me, and he's refused to obey me. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night long. And then what's he do? He gets up to go find Samuel. What's he going to, or to go find Saul. Why? Because he's going to tell him. Now it takes him a while to find him. Why? Because in good Saul form, he's gone to set up a monument to himself. Tells you everything you need to know about how that guy handled it. But Samuel is going to be the voice of God to tell him, it ain't right. Your life ain't right. Listen, God will use people to speak to you. They will tell you that, that um, you got things in your life that you need to fix. They will show you areas where you didn't know you were off course. They will encourage you in ways you didn't know you needed to be encouraged. And you'll think that's coincidental, right? That person said something that spoke to me today. No, 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 that person didn't. God did. They just used them to deliver the message. Sometimes people will say that to me after a Sunday service. They'll walk away. Uh, they'll email me on Monday or they'll call me or they'll, they'll even come back and they'll be like, hey, I want you to know that really spoke. You really spoke to me today. No, I didn't. I promise you, I'm not speaking to you. I mean, collectively, I'm speaking to you, right? But I'm not talking to you. God might be, right? God might be using my words to speak to your heart, right? It's not mystical. 
All you did was show up today with an open heart to hear what God had, right? All you did was show up to hear, right? So it's not mystical, but it is supernatural because God is using my words to speak directly to your heart. It's not me. That's God. And, and, And it might happen in your small group. It might happen in a class you're taking. It might just happen over coffee with a friend. It might happen when you sit down and you tell somebody how lost you are and that you need help. But God wants to speak to you through people. And the other side of that is simply this. As we close, this is the last thing I'll show you. Uh, the other side of that is if God wants other people to be his voice to you, he wants you to serve that role for people too. God wants you uh, to be in a position so that he can speak to people through you. Here's how that works, right? First of all, you have to know your Bible really, really really well. You can't expect God to use you in that way if you're not going to be in your word. Two, think about it this way. No conversation is coincidence. God is too sovereign for that. You know who excels at this? Is Carrie. In our family, she's the exceller at this. Like, it is, people will say, Um, And they'll comment to me, and she and I will talk about it sometimes. How is it that I can have 15 conversations with somebody and never know something so deeply profound about them? Carrie has one conversation with them, and they're calling her up saying, Hey, you want to hang out? You want to get coffee this past weekend? Do you want to go walk around the farmer's market with me? Carrie's like, Sure, let's do that. Why? Because, because there's something about being open to that. No conversation is coincidence, right? God's too sovereign for that. And when you have those conversations, right, here's the deal. Both ears up. One to the person and one for God, because he will prompt you with what to say and how to say it and when to say it. He will prompt you. We'll talk about promptings next week, but, but he will prompt you. Three is you got to earn the right to speak into somebody's life. You can't be the voice of God for somebody if you're not willing to spend the time with somebody, if you're not willing to pray for them, to cry with them, to lift them up when they're struggling, to come alongside them when they need strength. And and here's a word of, just for you, don't underestimate the power of, of a prophetic word of encouragement. I think in my life, I've had a lot of people that didn't speak specific prophecies into me. Nobody said, Matt, you're going to be a pastor and it's going to be great. But people did say, Matt, you know what? God's gifted you in some serious ways. You know what? And, and, and you're going to do things that are going to, that are going to honor God with your life. Like those, those encouragements are the voice of God telling me, keep going, don't quit, keep moving. And question your motives especially when it comes to corrective um, communication. Here's a good rule of thumb. If it's something you want to say, then that means you probably shouldn't say it. If If it's a hard conversation you don't really want to have, then that means you probably should, right? If you're looking to go pick a fight, if you're looking to go point out flaws, then I don't know that that's the voice of God working through you. But if, if it's impressed upon you that you should, even though you don't want to, 
man, I don't want to go tell him that his zipper's down, but I just feel like it's so awkward that now I have to. Or the emotional equivalent of that. I don't want to tell him that he gets angry every time somebody, you know, um, crosses a line. That instead of handling it lovingly, he handles it loudly. I don't want to tell him that. But boy, I feel like I should. That can be the voice of God. This isn't complicated. It's difficult, but it's not complicated. And so here's where I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it with a prayer. And in this prayer, we're just going to ask God to help us hear his voice through the people he's put in our path. And we are going to ask him to help us be his voice to the people he's put in our path. And in case you haven't heard me say it in 10 minutes, it starts with really, really, really knowing this. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you uh, for the examples you give us in Scripture. And we see it littered all throughout Scripture. We, we, see, we see Mordecai exhorting Esther to do the godly thing. We see Barnabas encouraging Mark when he's down to, to, to be who you've called him to be, which is the biblical author of the gospel. God, God, we see you encouraging Timothy to stand firm and to not be afraid, but instead to be bold, to lead the church that you'd called him to lead. And God, we know that you have people in our lives that you're giving us, that give us this truth, that point out blind spots, that encourage us um, when we can finally confess our hidden areas, and God, that can confirm and confront things in our lives that we don't even see ourselves. We thank you for them, and we ask you to help us hear them well. Help us to be so in tune with the word of God in our Bibles that we hear the voice of God through other people. And Father, help us to be that voice for those that you bring in contact. Help us to be that voice for the people that need to hear from you. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us this much. You very clearly could have just said, they are my creation and they have abandoned me and I am done with them. But you didn't. You didn't. You created us, you loved us, we abandoned you, and you have gone to such great lengths to save us and then to continue to speak to us. God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And we thank you for the voice of God that we hear through other people. We love you and praise you. Amen.